Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Village Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's going on, my people? It's Pastor Jay Harris from the Ville Church here. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are in part two of a series that we are on called Community, right? It's community, and we are focusing on the unity inside of community. And what we've been talking about, if you caught our sermon last week, was how does the gospel make unity happen, right? And so to go into this topic, one of the um, books of the Bible that we jumped into, just to give you a quick recap before we jump into this morning, was Acts 2, right? And I'm talking fast because when I'm, I'm excited about a scripture and a text and a sermon that I'm going to be preaching, I start talking fast. So I'm going to talk fast this morning because I'm just hyped, all right? So y'all keep up with me. Make sure you have your pen and your pad and all that stuff and take notes or whatever because this is a really, really, really good word. And like I said, I'm excited about it. But we were inside of Acts 2 and we were looking at when, um, you know, Pentecost, how the spirit fell and then and then Peter starts preaching. And one of the things he does is he, I talked about how he, he, he preaches and he confronts the people about how they are the ones that killed Jesus. He goes back into um, into the into the the text, the ancient text, and how it was prophesying about this Jesus that would come. And he was speaking in a language that the crowd would actually understand. He even used David um, because he knew they esteemed David, and he was like, "Yo, the David that you love so much was actually talking about this Jesus that I'm telling you about that you actually killed." And it says in the text that they were actually cut to their heart in Acts two. It says that the people heard and they were cut to the heart, and it said and they said, what in the world should we do? Like, what do we do? And he said, you need to repent. He told him he need to repent and he told him to follow Jesus, right? So he pointed them to Jesus. He tells them to repent. And let me just read this to you because I'm going to start from Acts 2 verse 42. Um, the, this is the result after they repented, right? And it says, and they devoted themselves. The people who were there and they were responsible and they begged for Jesus to be killed on the cross. It says they repented and it says, and they were devoted to themselves, to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds um, to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home, they, homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved When you read that it sounds absolutely amazing and I've heard people over my years of preaching say many times like man This is what the church is supposed to be like and 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 my God like why doesn't church always look like this? And 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 what's going on here? And what what are we missing and like it, it, does the gospel not make community happen or like what are we missing here? So this is the thing that I really want to want to push on and I hope that it leaves you with a fresh new perspective concerning the gospel and even the calling that you have and the way you actually make community and you make that unity and community actually happen, right? And so one of the verses I pointed us to last week, and I'm just going to recap again, and I'm going to use it this week, is First First Peter 2, and I went through 1 through 10, but I'm going to jump right now and I'm going to start from... Um, I'm going to start from verse five, right? Because Peter's talking to the people and he says, and you yourselves like living stones 
are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And right. And so when he when he before he says that in verse three, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he puts the premise of his statement on this idea, like if you've actually tasted that the Lord is good. So when he's saying tasted, like what is, when he says, when he's talking about taste, if you've experienced and tasted that the Lord is good, what actually is he actually talking about? And I feel like he's speaking to the gospel. And, and I'm gonna show you that in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So he brings them to this point, like the taste is in the fact that like, if you've experienced the gospel, which we know the gospel to be the good news, it means that you also have a understanding and you remember the fact that you found yourself in very bad news, right? Somebody who's going to experience God's wrath um, righteously and justfully because of your sin, right? And it, it, like God is a just God and in, as in his justice, he was going to uphold justice and he was going to penalize us for our sin. But instead, he lets his wrath go on Jesus and he gives us mercy. So that's the taste. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? Because if you've tasted that the Lord is good, it should compel and produce certain things in your life that I'm going to get to inside of the text. But one of the examples I gave last week, which I stole from Francis Chan, is he gave this this um, this um, example of a Lego set, right? We've all played with Legos before. I have 10 kids. I, the, 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 I, I think Legos are just, you know, objects of murder or whatever, because if you've ever stepped one, on one before, you know, them joints is, is mean, brother. They don't have no mercy on your feet, soles of your feet, none of that stuff or whatever. But nevertheless, we're going to use them in a redemptive way today, right? So you get a Lego set, you usually get this flat green piece, right? And then you get all of the, the little blocks. And the little blocks have those little, those little, you know, I call them the little, the little gospel little, little, little knobs on top of them or whatever. And you stick them together. But here's the thing. The first thing you do is sit them on the foundation. So in this text in 1 Peter 2, when he is talking about y'all are actually living stones, and then it goes on to call Jesus the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. So when we become children of God and we follow Jesus, we are brought into the family. So we are not, not children of Satan anymore, children of the enemy or children of wickedness. We are actually sons and daughters of the Most High, creator of the universe, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We are his children and he connects us to the foundation through Jesus, the gospel that is preached to us, that takes our hard heart, that cuts our heart, like Peter described, right? Like that cuts our heart and puts a new living heart inside of us when we, when God gives us grace and graces us to become one of his children, it connects us to the foundation. And then we experience community as more people come and we as living stones are building into a house, not a church building where we go to actually praise, worship, have community, facilitate things of ministry purposes. That's just a building. But we ourselves are actually the church, right? So the gospel is making a community. But how do we steward that community is where I want to take us to. So that's your recap. But now I want to take you into, into what it looks like for us to actually be bonded together, right? 
And so I want to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. It says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, right? So that's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. But let's zoom in on this, this portion of this text. Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call. So there's a calling when we are, when we are called out of darkness and we are called to be children of God. There is a calling and this calling is royal, right? It's a, it, it's a royal status. So it's a, you know, when I talk to people often about, you know, moving in ministry or whatever, and like, you know, or, or, or when they start talking about becoming a, 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 you know, a pastor and leading people or teaching or taking on new roles in the church, they usually, you know, I hear this kind of apprehension because they're like, oh my God, like the calling, like that, that's, that's a lot. And so I'm like, what do you mean that's a lot? They're like, that, that's just a lot, like, you know, to, to take that position. So what they're saying is the position requires them to walk in a worthiness of it. They esteem the position in such a way where it's like, Lord, I, I need you to help me even to like fill these shoes. Like when people say like, hey, those are big shoes to fill. And so Paul is saying like, what he's talking about, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So it takes us back to the gospel, like, do you esteem this calling you've had? Have you tasted it? And if you've tasted it, then you understand the, the, the value of it, right? And that it's something to esteem, to walk into, right? Jesus has fulfilled this purpose or whatever for us where he is like, he is the only one that is actually worthy. He's the only one that's actually perfect. So there's no such thing as us being perfect and meeting the standard. But it is a standard for us to want to push through. And as we have, we taste the goodness of the gospel. We want to walk worthy, right? I love my wife. I want to be a good husband to her. I want to be the kind of husband that meets what I think of her, how worthy and how special and how amazing she is. I want to be that kind of husband. I'm not up under the law in the sense that like I have to earn it. She's my wife. I have her but I esteem her and I want to walk worthy for her. I want to make her proud. I want to say, man, my husband loves me. Like one day if she's at my funeral and she's giving my eulogy, I want her to talk about like, my God, he loved my, my socks off. Like he loved me. He would, he would sacrifice for me. He would give himself for me. So that is what we're talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. He's saying this call that we have as Christians, it has this this, this, this value. And so in verse nine of first Peter two, he says, but you are a chosen race. So, so when we talk about what we're called into, listen to these titles he gives here. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own position, uh, for his own possession, talking about for God's own possession, like we are his possession, right? He's given us this, this identity as royalty, as being a priesthood. We represent him, the king of kings, the creator of all things. And then he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
So once again, we see this, this value, this tasting that we have anchored in the fact that we were once in darkness and were brought into this marvelous light, right? So, so when we get forgetful of the gospel, when we get forgetful of, you know, some people, whatever, they just go, God, he's just, he's awesome. And he, he's a provider and they've made him into like kind of the genie in the lamp or whatever. They're like, I just rub on this thing and he just gives me everything I want. And like the contentment is in the idea that like God is going to just magic wand and make everything work out perfect for them. But that's not what God shows us in the Bible, right? But like our contentment actually should rest in the fact that we were lost and now we are found. Not because I was good enough, not because you were good enough, not because you worked hard enough, not because you gave enough, not because you sacrificed, not because you're smart and you understand things, but because God looked on us. And for some reason that is beyond our comprehension, he thought to have mercy on me and you and to make you his children. And now he has brought us into this calling where we are called to proclaim the excellencies of who he is and proclaim the gospel and the good news to those who actually need to hear it, right? So that right there anchors us. So we are, so so in Ephesians, Paul is speaking about, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then listen to this right here. He says, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. So we're talking about community right now. We're talking about unity in community. We're talking about how the gospel brings us together. So we've been called of this into this valuable space. It's been gifted to us through grace and mercy and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he says, be mindful. He's telling us to be mindful of it. But he says, bear with one another in love. The word bearing has a tension in it that I think that we need to be honest and exact about. Because I think that there's this thing within the church now where it's like, we see people, we don't like the way they move, and we wash our hands of them. Or we go, man, I can't believe you people act like that. Y'all are supposed to be the church. But what Paul is actually saying in the scripture is that, like, if you are actually a part of the community of God, you're going to find yourself having to bear with people, meaning you're going to have to stand in the middle of tension and, and deal with people, whatever, that at times are very disappointing to you. And for those who, of you who are mature, you are actually going to esteem them higher than yourself. And you are going to, for their good, suffer some of their ignorance, suffer some of their, 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 their foolishness, suffer some of their, their, their ways that you just think very little of. But for the sake of seeing them actually grow. But you won't do it if you won't, don't remember the gospel. You won't, you won't have tolerance if you don't remember that you were once lost and by the grace of God have been found. Now, if you think that you actually found yourself, then you're going to shake your finger at everybody and tell them you need to be better and you need to do better. And that's actually not the gospel, right? So we look at this text here and he says, you know, I want to look at, I want to look at Colossians 3.13 really quick. Colossians 3, 13 says this, it says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Do you see, once again, and I know I keep saying this because it's the most important thing I'm going to say to you this morning, how the gospel 
is rooted in everything we do. We are the forgiven, that's, therefore we're compelled to forgive. We are those who receive mercy, therefore we are compelled to give mercy. That is the culture. That is the unity and community God is calling us to as his people. And he anchors it in the work of Jesus Christ. If you have tasted, right? If you've tasted, we look at the church of Sardis, the church of the walking dead in Revelations 3. And the Bible says that they were known to be alive, but they were actually dead. And then when God gives them the imperatives inside of the text, he tells them to remember because they were postured as the church but they had left the gospel in the dust. We can't have community for real. We can posture ourselves in it and look like it and try to pull it off, but it's not going to be real. Our, our, our unity is propelled and held together by the, by the gospel. We as the church sitting on that Lego, that, 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 that cornerstone connected by those gospel you know, ribbits, I don't know what we, what I called them earlier, but you know what I'm talking about, the little Lego little things, whatever, the connectors. It's the gospel that's holding us together, it makes community. And we remember it, it compels us to actually forgive as we have been forgiven, right? So as a church, we aren't, we aren't critics who just scrutinize the shortcomings of others. We actually encourage other people. We actually push them to grow. We want to see them go forward. We want to see them mature in the gospel and we do it the same way God has done us with mercy with patience with gentleness right so there's another part here I want to point out to you he says uh in verse 3 says be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit God is calling his people to have a eagerness like if we are tasting the gospel if we are tasting the gospel if and, and and how do we taste it we we read the word of god right we read the word of god if i could just be honest with you last night when i was before i started working on this text i've been playing around with it for the past week or so so last night wasn't the first time i touched it but like man i really felt really just kind of in that dry place where you're like god i'm just I'm not feeling it. God, I feel like I'm far from you. And when I went to bed last night, you know, I got this thing I do where I go, I go, God, come, come get me. Come get your boy. Father, come save me. Come find me. Um, and, and, and the reason I do that, right, the reason I do that is because even when I was lost back in the day, years before I even became a believer, um, I, I used to think about God sometimes. And I remember I used to sometimes I used to say, you know, God, I don't even want you but I know I need you and I'm not going to go looking for you, but I'm like, it has to be you that's giving me the, the, the strength and the mind to even say, God, come find me. Like come enter in all this sin and wickedness I'm caught up in. And somehow, because you're God, that's what I used to think. I'm like, you're, you're God. I know how lost I am, but I, I, I know if anybody can find me, you could come find me. And still today, even on the side of being a believer and following Jesus, I still say, God, come find me. And I try to remember that. I try to remember what it was to be lost and the taste of it so I can appreciate the salvation that he has gifted to me, the fact that he came find me. But it also makes me eager to want to go find other people. 
that are looking, to go find other people who don't even know they're looking. Find people who, who I ain't coming, but I'm looking, right? I'm, I'm lost and I'm enjoying my sin, but I know it's going to eat me alive or whatever. So like, I have an eagerness where I like, I, I want to go find them, right? My eagerness is pitiful. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna you know, try to serve it up to you like it's all super righteous and all that, whatever. But it's there by the grace of God. It's there, whatever. But God calls us to be eager. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Be eager for the things of God. God cares about the unity in the body of Christ. Don't be so quick to just be a criticizer of what's going on in the body, but be eager to be one of the people that's actually working to proclaim the gospel, to encourage your brothers and sisters to, to, to when people start just criticizing those who they think are weaker, to remind them of the scriptures and hey, how if, if you truly are mature, then you know that you're actually called to bear with them, encourage them. Discipleship looks like relationship, right? It's not you pinning somebody down and making them relent and then you being able to run a book through them and them, and them just hear what you have to say. Discipleship happens in relationship. It happens with you bearing with one another. It happens when people are injuring your soul because their sin is so flagrant and so foul, but it's like you have this hope to see them come to Jesus, so you you bearing through it, looking for the opportunity for, for to 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 give them gospel encouragement, to be there with them, to speak to them, to speak truth, to have honest conversation, growing credibility with them for when they want to, when they get to a place where like I trust you because you see my mess and you don't even judge me or whatever. You know what? Let me pour some of this 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 mess out in front of you for real, because you you have credibility because you've endured with me, you haven't judged me. You've pointed me to truth. You've called me to truth. You've encouraged me, right? I remember years ago, I had a friend of mine or whatever. He came to my Bible study inside the straight and narrow store. And he he actually is the son of a preacher. And he was just out here wilding. He was living real crazy. And he was like, man, I ain't been near the church in years. I don't do that. He was like, but I'll come to the Bible study in your clothing store. So he comes to my clothing store. And I'll never forget. He, he, he sits down. The room is packed. And when we start having Bible study, we're talking so transparently about what we're dealing with in the room. And he's just looking around. I'm looking at his eyes or whatever. And he's quiet. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, oh, oh, this is what y'all are doing? He goes, this is what y'all call gathering together, like having church? He goes, y'all in here are confessing sin? He was like, oh, okay. He said, I need to talk. And he just starts spilling out all of his sin in front of everybody because he was like, Oh, I thought y'all were going to be in here playing church, acting cute, but y'all are in here confessing your own sin and your need for Jesus. A man just got ordained not too long ago. He's in the ministry right now. But like that unity that comes from the gospel is gentleness, right? It's gentleness is what is what we see inside of the text with all humility and gentleness and patience bearing with one another in love is what God gives us, right? So how does the Spirit do it, right? Let, let's talk about this patience. When I first came to Christ, I did not know about God's patience. I did not know that God was a patient God. And when I first became a believer, I remember I would go out and I would party and I would end up getting drunk, tore up or whatever. I might mess around and pop some pills and 
I would wake up and I would be so ashamed of myself because in my mind, not fully grasping the gospel yet, but God's still doing a gospel work, sanctifying me. I thought that I had to just perform and be good. And then when I wasn't good, I thought it was over. And I had many mornings like that. But what blew me away was how I could just feel God's mercy in those moments. I could feel God just, just if I'm being honest with you and straightforward, I used to run the church and I and, and I used to like, I used to use worship as a way to like brutalize the enemy for coming at me. I used to be like, okay, I'm I'm going to church this morning because the shame, what it was, it was trying to disconnect me from community. I was like, I can't go to church. Like I'm, I feel like a scumbag right now. I've been out scumming all night. And God was like, yo, the mercies made new this morning. Come through. Don't let Satan trick you. He's trying to keep you away from the body. He's trying to keep you away from the living water. He's trying to keep you in the desert. He's trying to corner you off so he can sift you like wheat. So I experienced God's patience, his endurance, his long suffering with me, right? So God doesn't want me to forget that. He doesn't want you to forget that. He wants you to bring it into community and make unity, right? He wants you to make unity happen. And then we look at, we, we, we look in the text or whatever. So it talks about, it talks about humility. It talks about the patience. But then let's talk about this, this gentleness. I told you still to this day, I'm still calling God, come get me, Lord, come find me. And I do it even more so now. You know why I do it more so now, even as a believer? Because I was asking God to come find me when I was out, you know, popping pills, talking to Martians and my eyeballs rolling in my head, robbing, stealing, doing all of these things or whatever. And I and I called God, asked him in the darkness, Lord, can you please come get me? And now as a child of God, when I feel so dry, when I don't even feel like talking to you, I'm like, God, I know I need to spend time with you. I don't feel like talking to you right now because that's where I'm at right now. I still go, but God, please come find me. I know I'm off. I'm off for real. I'm liking being off, but I know I'm off. Come find me. Come find me. And he's gentle. He's gentle. I just got off the phone with my man Skinny this, this morning, and I was talking to him. I said, bro, I said, Skinny, I've been, I've been in a dry place. I said, but last night, God, I got in his word, and he, and he, I just felt his spirit all on me, bro. I went to sleep praising him last night. I said, I can't believe that he just that he just shows up like that. That like, like, you know, you feel like, you know, God, I ain't been like I I, I ain't been doing whatever I think I'm supposed to be doing or whatever and whatnot, which whatever I'm doing is actually pitiful before God anyway, because I can't earn his love, but I'm foolish enough to think that or I feel like I'm failing somewhere in life or whatever or I've been harsh with my kids and I feel down like I'm I'm failing as a father all these little tricks that the enemy is doing and he's really just trying to separate me from the father he's trying to get me from the living water he's trying to get you from the living water with shame and condemnation but then when you say Lord come find me he doesn't show up with a paddle to whoop your butt he shows up with a hug and he shows up with love and even when he shows up with chastisement he shows up to chastise because he says i chastise those i love it's all good for us because he's a good good god not because we good people but because he's a good god let's talk about humility I'm going to read Philippians uh, 2, 1 through 3. It says this. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to read verse yeah, yeah, 1 through 3. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind. He's talking to the people of God. Be in the same mind is what he's telling them, right? He says, having the same love, be in full accord. And he is not talking about a Honda Accord. For all my people that love Honda Accords out there, he says, being in full accord and, and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Humility, right? So we, we see in the text that we are given given a recipe, right? He says, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And as we talk about humility here, and it talks about esteeming others higher than yourself, what God when he sent Jesus to die on the cross and he pulled us into his family, when he, when, he, when, he, when he came to save the lost, those who were separated from God, what he was doing was building a community that is not about, um, about you know, about, um, you know, titles and, 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 and using our authority, trying to usurp authority over other people in a grievous, simple way. But he says that the leader of you all, he tells the disciples, he says, the one who's going to be the leader is the one who's going to be the servant of everybody else. So that's what's different than us in the world. That's what we're called to be or whatever. And of course, many of you have experienced churches where they've got it twisted or whatever. But like, here's the thing. I don't care about who's got it twisted. What I'm trying to talk about is what God is calling us to do, Right? What is he calling us to do? What are we eager to do? As your pastor, I want us to be the kind of community that actually has joy in serving each other, that we get fulfilled in actually being servants, that we feel connected to God, not being bossed off, everybody stopping to let us by because they respect us, but like because we we serve. And we gonna if we're gonna boast and we're gonna battle for a title. Let's try to out-serve each other, right? Let's, let's, let's try to see who, who's washing the most feet, right? And I don't mean that like that, but you get where I'm coming from. It's humility. And, and, and if we've tasted that the Lord is actually good, if we've tasted, if we, like in 1 Peter 2.10, if, if, we, if we actually remember that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people, if we remember that once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy, will we actually be walking around being haughty, being self-righteous, not loving each other in humility, not having patience, not being gentle when we've been lavished so richly with gentleness, with patience, with humility? You know, I'm going to read something to you, right? This is Romans 15, 1, 7. I'm going to bring this to a close here. It says, uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement, watch this, grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do you hear it again? 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. When we forget the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we forget that we were not a, that we once have not received mercy and now have received mercy, a gift from God through Jesus Christ, and it cost him his life. He raised on the third day, but he felt every inch of that pain and more, right? Beyond our comprehension. When we forget that we once were lost, but now we are found, then we destroy community. We destroy unity. We war against the plan and the gift God has given us to through Jesus for unity. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So church, my prayer for you today is that you stay remembering how God welcomed you. That you remember that though you were ripe and, 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 and filthy with sins, God doesn't greet you with a paddle and a, and, a, and a whooping, but he comes with a hug of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and salvation through Jesus Christ. That the wrath that was reserved for you and me and our sin, that it was put on Jesus Christ, who was the perfect spotless lamb. Nevertheless, he bared all of our reproaches. He paid the cost. He is chastised for standing next to us. Even as a church today, with this being a mess or whatever, people mock Jesus because of a mess we are. He's still bearing our reproach for our good till this day he is, right? So I pray that you remember how God has welcomed you and you begin to be, that it causes you to be eager to welcome others, Right? I pray that you remember how gentle he's been. So like it causes you to be gentle to your brothers and sisters in the church. If we get close enough, I'm telling you all of us a mess, right? I don't care what you think of me as your pastor. I'm a walking, talking, train wreck mess. And I need Jesus every single day. So don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. You get where I'm coming from? We need to not forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all we have right? It's all we have. Once the gospel's gone, we all get unstuck from the foundation. We start getting real loose and the pieces start falling all over the place. And then somebody's going to step on it and help hurt their foot because you know those Legos will kill you. But seriously, y'all understand where I'm coming from? Listen, we're going to end with that. And I just want to pray for you. But I want to say to anybody out there, if you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're listening to this message right now. Man, when I was partying, I loved the party. I loved the drugs I used to do. I did. But I had no idea what God had in store. And if I could go back, I will erase all of those stories, all those good times I thought I was having my people. I would erase every single one of them just to know Jesus like I know him today. And uh, But God's timing is his timing, and today may be your time, right? Perhaps God is messing with your heart. You're listening to this message and you're like, my God, I feel this right now. I feel something going on inside of my soul. And you feel like you don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. That's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit goes to and fro and does what it wants to and touch who it wants to. And today it may be landing on you if you feel something in your heart and you're like, God, what do I do with this? Like, God. I, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I fall short. I realize that my resume of good is never going to stack up and I'll never be able to buy my, my forgiveness. But God, if you're given the free gift of forgiveness and mercy and grace and salvation for sinners and wretches like me, through the work of Jesus, the death of Jesus, if you believe he died for your sins, 
then get on your knees and pray this morning and confess that and pray for Jesus to come inside of your heart. Because here's the thing. It is not even you that is doing that work. You ain't get wise all of a sudden. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in your heart and compelling you and drawing you towards Jesus. Right? I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. My name is Jay Harris. If God is, if that's you, hit me up and we'll talk. Hit me up and we'll talk. I'll pray with you. If you have questions, find me and we'll figure it all out. All right? But respond today. Respond in your privacy of your home, wherever you're at, you in your living room. If you're with your family, grab your family and pray. If you don't know what to do, just grab each other and just say, let's pray. Let's ask God to guide us. I feel like he's doing something. Begin the first part of it, all right? I love you today. I love you today. I love you, Ville Church. I love you, everybody who's tuning in. Pray God blesses you and prospers your soul, all right? In Jesus' name, amen. Peace.